Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. Some of the most remarkable people that I have ever met are the people who believe in Jesus in spite of their circumstances. Have you ever seen somebody like that? Or do you know somebody like that where they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, even though the circumstances in their life are difficult, they're battling, they're struggling, they have issues, they're upset. And yet their confidence isn't in the circumstances. Their confidence is in who is with them through the circumstance. Those people are remarkable. I would even say they're inspiring and maybe maybe even a little bit intimidating, right? Because they have something that we all want. They have this confidence that we all long for. They have circumstances that are turning things upside down, but they're not upside down. They're unshakable. And I think that's something we all long for. Maybe that's why you decided to come on campus today. Maybe it's why you decided to watch or to listen. Because you have someone that you've been watching, maybe from a distance, who is inspiring, maybe a bit intimidating, and you, you want what they have. They have this confidence that you, you don't have. And it's irresistible, right? Dr. Francis Collins had this happen in his life. Now, if you're not familiar with Francis Collins, he is a remarkable individual. He's the director of the Human Genome Project. Now, if you don't know what a genome is, you can look it up. I'm gonna give you a definition. I had to look it up because I wasn't aware of it. It's remarkable. The genome is an organism's complete set of genes. And Dr. Collins and his team, they were able to map out an entire human genome, which is 3.1 billion letters. Now, I'm talking about stuff I have no idea what, what it has to do with me, or I have no idea how they got there. I have no idea about this, right? Like, I sound smart, but I'm not, all right? But I just want you to know about Dr. Collins. Like, this is what he did. And the reason why this is so remarkable, so significant, is because this work actually predicted what diseases would do to you and to me and how we can respond in those moments. Cancer, HIV, AIDS. Dr. Collins' work is phenomenal. When he was 27, he was working at a hospital and he would interact with doctors and nurses and he would interact with patients. And some of the patients that he met were Jesus followers. And he was intrigued by their faith. He writes about this in his book called The Language of God. And in his interactions with people, he wrote down what he was thinking and what he was feeling and what he was experiencing. One of the things he said was this, if faith was a psychological crutch, it must be a very powerful one. If it was nothing more than a veneer of cultural tradition, in other words, if this is something only uneducated people do or unintelligent people do or people who have blind faith, if this is only something that they do, 
then why were these people not shaking their fists at God and demanding their friends and their families stop all of the talk about a loving and benevolent supernatural power? He was struggling because there was this chaos happening in the lives of these patients and yet they were unshakable. They had this confidence that he was drawn to. It was irresistible. One morning, he actually met with a woman who had heart disease. And this was actually going to be the thing that would actually take her life. There was no cure for her. And yet when he sat down and he spoke to her, she had this confidence and this unshakable faith. And so he asked her, like, tell me about that. Because that, that's inspiring it's also irritating like why do you have this faith and she dropped this line on him she said dr collins i choose to live i choose to live and i choose to live by believing that jesus is the christ the son of god he is who i believe and he is who i believe in and then she asked him this who do you believe who do you believe in and he struggled with that. In fact, that question was unsettling for him. He responded with, I'm, I'm not sure. And he finished that conversation with these thoughts and he wrote it down in his book. He said, faced with my willful blindness and my arrogance, I began my journey. And he took steps to discover what could be discovered, to see what could be seen. And he learned about the claims of Jesus and that they were legitimate and that the invitation of Jesus wasn't to just believe or to have faith, but the invitation of Jesus was to come and see and that you could trust him based upon what you've read and what you've heard and what you've seen and what you've experienced. This isn't a once upon a time story is what he discovered. In fact, he discovered there was so much evidence to the reality of the real Jesus. And Jesus predicted this. He talked about how this was going to be the thing that would stir hearts and draw people to him and why he invited people to him because he actually did things that gave evidence that he was the son of God. John helped us to understand this as he wrote five letters in the New Testament. And it's something we talked about last week. Remember, if you weren't here, we talked about how Christianity isn't an invitation to just believe or to take it by faith. But the invitation of Jesus to come and see and come and follow was to see what he did and to hear about those things, to read about it, and then trust in the evidence that he is who he says that he is. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 1, and I, and I love what he says here. He almost doubles down, triples down what he's hoping to communicate to you and me. John chapter 1 verse 1, 1 John chapter 1 verse 1, he says this, That which was from the beginning, we have heard and we have seen with our eyes and we have looked at and our hands have touched. We proclaim concerning the word of life. We proclaim this concerning the word of life. Like we saw Jesus, we held Jesus, we high-fived Jesus, we heard from Jesus, we were around. Then he doubles down, verse two, he says, the life appeared, Jesus, he appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you this eternal life. 
It's not just life for right now, but it's life after this life, that it goes on. He says, this life is from the Father and has appeared to us. And then he triples down. He says, let me just be really, really clear. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. You may be intimate with the true God of the universe. And our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's John's way of saying like, listen, I always believed that there was some sort of God. Like he was agnostic at best, but Jesus, when he met Jesus, God became real to him. And he started to live because he put his faith and trust in Jesus based upon what he saw. He had confidence and it was unshakable. John was one of the last followers of Jesus, the last disciples of the first 12 that followed Jesus. He was the last one to pass away, to die. He wasn't murdered for his faith, although they tried to kill him. And in his later years, he was invited to write about his experience because this story obviously is so powerful because it's the story of God told through the person and work of Jesus. And people said, John, you got to write this down. You got to let people know about this. And so he did. And that's where the gospel of John comes from in the New Testament. And at the end of it, he gives us the big idea why he's writing this down. He said this, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the reason why John wrote his letter and he organizes his letter around seven signs of Jesus so that we can put our faith in him, not based upon just believing or blind faith, but going, look at what we saw and we read and we heard. And all of these signs, these miraculous signs pointed to Jesus. And John didn't say, hey, it was a miracle and it was fantastic. It was a random act of kindness. There was an intentionality behind it. And so last week we looked at the first sign. Today, I want to look at sign number two. And it's the healing of a royal official's son. So if you have a Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone or smart device, would you turn to John chapter four, starting in verse 46. John chapter 4, starting in verse 46. And if you're watching this on campus or online, the verses will be on the screen for you. We pick up the story where we were last week, actually. John says that we're back in a place called Cana in Galilee. And this was the moment where Jesus had turned water into wine. So he's throwing back to last week, just reminding you that there was this incredible thing that took place just a week ago. And now we're stepping into the second powerful sign. And he says, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. Now, before we move on, I just I want to reference last week for just a minute and what we read last week when Jesus turned water into wine. That was a joyful moment. It was at a wedding, a bride and a groom are getting married, families are coming together, they would celebrate over days, over weeks. It was a joyful, celebratory moment. God had given them the privilege and the ability to get married, to celebrate love, and so they were, they were there, Jesus was there. It was incredible. But this moment that we're about to enter into is not a joyful moment, it's a heartbreaking moment because we're told that this royal official son is sick and close to death. So Jesus steps into a joyful moment a week ago, and 
Now he steps into a heartbreaking moment. And what I don't want you to miss is this. Jesus is involved in both. Jesus goes to both. He's not just drawn to joyful moments. He's drawn to every moment because Jesus is for everyone. Don't miss that. And then a couple things I want you to see. We're, we're back in Cana. This is where that wedding happened. But here's why this is important. John tells us that the sick kid and the royal official live in a city called Capernaum, which is about eight hours away via chariot. Walking, it probably would have been double that time. But this guy's a royal official. He's got some great, he's got some great rides, right? He's got a, he's got a Escalade. He's got a, a, a Ford whatever, right? He's, he's been able to collect money and he has a good ability to get to where he needs to go. He's got transportation. And so he's eight hours away via chariot. And he comes to find Jesus. And what's so interesting about him coming to see Jesus is that this man, this royal official, is actually what's called a Sadducee. A Sadducee was an intellectual. They love to talk religion. They love to talk theology. They love to talk existential ideas. And they would love to have conversations about that. But they were convicted and convinced of one particular thing, that everything was already determined. Everything was set. And so this royal official's perspective was that life was like a chessboard and the pieces were already in place and God had already designed where the pieces were going to go. And you and I had no choice in that. Everything's determined. Everything is set. And because they believed that, they were convinced that you don't ask God for anything. You just trust him that you don't approach God for any request. You just let him do what God does and you believe it's the right way. Fate dictates everything. Here's why this is so important. This all changed for this man today. All of that is brushed aside because he's a desperate father because his son is about to die and he doesn't know what to do. There is no doctor that can cure him. There is no medicine that can help him. And so he, with all of his convictions, comes eight hours to find Jesus. And everything in him believes something different than what he's about to do. But isn't it interesting what happens to our knowledge and our confidence about life when someone we love is suffering? Dads, if your child was suffering, you know that you would go to the ends of the earth to find a cure, to find help, wouldn't you? Moms, you already do that. You go to the ends of the earth for your kids. Parents, grandparents, you would do whatever is necessary, wouldn't you? No matter what it is that you believe. And suddenly this man who's convinced and convicted of all of these things, he brushes it aside because his child is suffering. And so John tells us when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come heal his son who was close to death. All he knew about Jesus was what he heard. And there was no dignity in this moment. He begged 
for help because that's all that he needed. And many of us have been there, haven't we? We've had moments in our life and in our story where we needed help and we needed help right now and we would do anything. We're desperate. We're begging. And this father is desperate and his words to Jesus come out as desperate. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Now, here's what I find interesting. We already know he's desperate. You can feel that and hear that in his words. But he also is asking Jesus to come to his house before his child dies. He's confident that Jesus can do something here. And I don't want you to miss this. Do you know why he's confident? Because of what he's heard. Because of what he's heard about Jesus. And because these stories got to him, he decided to find out if they're true. He's confident. He is putting his belief and his faith in Jesus because of what he's heard. Don't miss that. And it feels like, it feels like in this guy's mind, this desperate father, he has, he has two options. Either Jesus comes with me and heals my son, or Jesus refuses to come with me and my son dies. These are the two options, and this is why he's desperate, because he's begging Jesus to travel eight, eight hours to come to his house. Here's what I love about Jesus, and in fact, this is what's irresistible about Jesus, inspiring about Jesus, and could I even say, this is irritating <laughs> about Jesus, all right? Jesus chooses the third option. Jesus asks this man to do something that he asks of you, and he asks of me to trust him based upon what he has heard about him. He asks this desperate father to trust him based upon what he has heard about him. Whew. And Jesus responds to this man, this desperate father, and he says, you may go, your son will live. You may go. I'm not going with you, and I'm not refusing to go. You may go, and your son will live. Parents, fathers, can you imagine what you might be thinking and feeling in this moment? Can you imagine the emotional energy that it took to get to where you are right now, to be face-to-face -face with Jesus based upon what you heard, and you beg him? You're desperate. You have all of these beliefs that you've put aside because you're standing, well, kneeling in front of Jesus, begging for help. And Jesus says, I'm not going with you, but I'm not refusing to go. You can go and your son will live. And I'm sure the father was like, wait, wait, wait. So you, you're saying that you want me to go home without you. You're not coming with me, but you're not refusing. You're just telling me to go home and my, my son will live. Listen, Jesus, I appreciate what you're saying to me here, but listen, my son is dying. And if I go home without you, there'll probably be two deaths. My son will not make it. And if I go home and my wife sees me without you, she's going to kill me. And so he's, he's spinning here. And yet Jesus says, you may go and your son will live. And maybe this guy's thinking, so what, so what you're saying, I go, you don't, and my son will live. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
Friends, this is where we all live. This is where you live. This is where I live. See, this isn't a random act of kindness by Jesus. Jesus is painting a picture for us of what a lifetime with him looks like. And he shrinks it down to one day. The invitation that he is giving this father is the invitation that he gives to you and to me over our entire life. We are asked, I'm going to move this because I just want to, I want you to hear this. All right. We are asked by Jesus to trust him based upon what we've heard. And in this moment, he's asking this guy to do that in this moment, but he's asking you and I to do it in every moment. This is a lifetime moment that shrunk down to a day. What Jesus is asking us here is to believe who he is and what he's done based upon the words of those who saw him. Which means that you and I are going to go through life with our unanswered prayers. Confident that Jesus is who he says that he is and he will do what he says he will do. That is the invitation to trust in Jesus and who he claimed to be based upon what we've read and what we've heard in light of our circumstances. When it's chaos, when it's messy, when it's painful, when there's battles, Jesus goes, trust me, just like he did with this father. And those are the people that are inspiring, aren't they? Those are the people that we look at and we admire. Maybe we're a bit intimidated. The believe in spite of their circumstances people, right? We all have those people in our life, don't we? And sometimes we keep them at a distance. They don't know that we're watching, but we're watching, aren't we? And their life is irresistible. And we go, man, I wish that I had that. And Jesus goes, you know what they have? They believe and are confident in me. And they are not putting their faith in their circumstances. They've put their faith in, in me, in Jesus. And you're watching that and you're inspired by that. And you long for that and you want that. And Jesus goes, you can get it when you trust me. In light of your unanswered prayers. You can get it if you believe in me in light of the battle that you're in, that you are more confident in the one who is going through it with you rather than what you're going through. Friends, do you know what this means for you? Do you know what it means for me? As you and I continue to be faithful, do you know who's watching you? The answer is no, you don't. You don't know. Do you know what this means for me? Do you know what it means for you? Do you know what God is doing in the lives of the people around you because of your faithfulness? The answer is, no, you don't. And no, I don't. And do you know what this means for you and for me? Do you know who is a day or a week or a month or a year away from making a decision to put their confidence in Jesus based upon watching how you live? No, you don't. And no, I don't. But you do know what we know. We have an opportunity to inspire someone, someone that we don't know is watching us. And we're not doing it for them. 
But we are living a life that's causing them to consider who Jesus is and what Jesus does because of our faithfulness, because you decided, don't miss this, you decided to believe in spite of your circumstances. You decided to be confident that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, in light of everything that's going around you. The diagnosis, the struggle, the sickness, the battle, the divorce, the brokenness, the pain. You decided that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you have unshakable faith. You are like that patient that spoke to Dr. Collins and said, I choose to live. And this dad is invited to do the same thing, and he's stunned when Jesus says that to him. Jesus essentially says, I'm not going home with you, but you don't need to worry, and you don't need to hurry. Because your son will live. You got what you came for. And this man is invited to make a decision that you and I are invited to make every single day. And he decided. He decided to believe Jesus. And to believe who Jesus is based upon what he heard about him and based upon what he heard from Jesus. He decided to take Jesus at his word. John tells us that the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and departed. He walked away from the only person that could heal his son. But he decided to trust him. To use a phrase that you might be familiar with, especially if you've been a part of the church for a while. He walked by faith and not by sight. He walked with the confidence that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. He walked with a belief based upon what he had heard from others and what he had heard from Jesus. And John finishes the story this way. It's it's remarkable. Check it out. While he was still on his way, his servants Not just one, but all of them met him with the news. They found him on the road back to his house, eight hours away. They met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, he asked the question we would all ask, when did that happen? When did he start feeling better? They said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. And this man, this father realized it was the exact time that Jesus said to him, your son will live. And then he sees his wife. And his wife is shocked because he came home without Jesus, but the son was feeling better. And this husband, this father, begins to tell his wife about Jesus. John says he and his whole household believed. Can I go back to that phrase, walking by faith and not by sight? That's not wishful thinking. That's not crossing your fingers hoping that God will come through, that God will make these things happen. You know what it is? It's choosing to live every single day of your life as if Jesus is who he claimed that he is, that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. He claimed it, you believe it, and you are trusting and are confident that what he has said about himself is true. It's living every single day that if what Jesus has said is true and believing that it is actually true, it's living every single day realizing that God is your heavenly Father, living every single day believing that your sin is forgiven and it's not held against you. It's living every single day knowing that you are completely 
completely and unconditionally loved because Jesus went to the cross to forgive you of your sins and resurrected from the grave to free you from death. And then it's believing that this love isn't just for you, but it's for everyone around you. This is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. It's not just believing, stirring up faith. It's looking at the story of Jesus and believing that what actually is written down is true because John was there and he saw it and you believe in it because you hear it and you're reading it and you're experiencing it. Walking by faith is living with the confidence that God has come and his name is Jesus. And the implications of this, friends, is so remarkable. It means... That in your forgiving, in your living, in your faith, in your sacrifice, in your generosity, all of that is not in vain, but it's anchored in someone who is real. And his name is Jesus. And a life like that causes people like Francis Collins to pause and to wonder, what is this? that causes you to be unshakable and his patient saying to him, Dr. Collins, I choose to live. Jesus put it this way, because you have seen me, you have believed. He's talking to all of the first followers, the first disciples, but then he speaks to you. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. He's talking to you. He's talking about you. You are in the Bible. What he's saying here is that you have believed. You are considering to believe based upon the story that you've read and what you've heard from those that were there. And so my friends, the invitation of Jesus is simple. Let's walk by faith. Let's choose to live to live with the confidence that God has come and Jesus is here. And here's why this is so important, because this is what Jesus invited you to. Not to stir up belief and stir up faith, but to be confident that he is who he says that he is based upon who saw it and wrote it down and you read it and you learned it and you experienced it. You're choosing to live. You're believing in spite of your circumstances. Choose to live with the confidence that forgiveness is here and freedom is offered. Choose to live believing that a better story is possible because God in Jesus Christ has come He is not dead. He is resurrected from the grave. But here's where it gets really radical, really irresistible. Choose to live because someone is watching you. And you may not even know it. Just like you're watching somebody who's inspiring you and they don't know it. Choose to live because someone needs your story and you haven't met them yet. Choose to live because... You choosing to live one more day might help someone else make it one more day. Choose to live. Friends, choose to live. Choose to be confident in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Choose to live. And let's get started today. You and I, what do you say you and I get started today as a church? You and me, all of us together, choosing to live readying our hearts for the word of Jesus and focusing our attention on the work of Jesus. I'll tell you what we can do together. Today at Active, we are launching the 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
Readying our hearts is what prayer does. It helps us to hear from God and know where he's going. And then fasting is choosing freedom over addiction, choosing freedom over a jail cell, choosing freedom over being locked into something that doesn't help us to tell a better story. And so I want to invite you to participate in 21 days of prayer and fasting with us. Even if you're new to this, this is an opportunity for us to choose to live. And you can be a part of it by simply texting FAST to the number on the screen. If you're listening to this, that number is 951-900-3627. 951-900-3627. Text FAST to 951-900-3627. It'll give you all that you need to help you over the next 21 days to participate in prayer and fasting. Or you can go to our website, activechurches.com, and click the 21 days link. Friends, choose to live. Choose to believe in spite of your circumstances. Choose to place your confidence in who Jesus is. Because that is what gives you and brings you life. Choose to live. Let me pray for you. So Heavenly Father, together we choose to live. Together we choose to place our confidence in you based upon what we have read and what we have heard. Together we choose to live because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when we choose to live, when we choose to believe in him, we will gain life. And we want to live. We want to live a life that tells, us about, tells a better story and that speaks about the kingdom of God and speaks about the King, Jesus Christ. So may we be people that live today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you guys.
I'll let your glory come down Don't hold back, don't hold back Yes, you're up to something right now You're doing a new thing right now God, let your glory come down Don't hold back, don't hold back You're moving mountains right now You're breaking chains right now God, let your glory come down Don't hold back, don't hold back No eye has ever seen, no ear has ever Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I wanna ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I wanna invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.